guys, welcome back to Life Education's podcast. We're here today with Petrina Barber. Um, Petrina has a very kind of inspiring story about um, undergoing five years of cancer treatment and recovery. Mm-hmm. We came across your story in an article in The National. So we wanted to sort of reach out to you and bring you uh, bring you along just to talk to you and pick your brain on what it takes to sort of what, what your interpretation of dealing with adversity and how your whole journey has changed. Yeah. So do you want to just begin? Just give like a brief rundown of the last five years. Sure. Sure. And then we'll just go from there. Um. So I think the broader picture and to give context is um, I've essentially been sick for uh, coming up to about five years Um, so um, in July five years ago I was diagnosed with um, a late stage of cervical cervical cancer and um, there was just a catalogue of errors and disasters and unlucky mishaps that unfortunately um, it it went on for some quite some time until they found it and um, it had spread um, and my son was four months old at the time when they found it. So it had been growing while I was pregnant. So there was kind of the complexity of um, being in your early 30s. Um, we were living in New York at the time, kind of flying very high on the career ladder, working in corporate New York and, you know, being a new mother and having a baby and um, being told that um, you have a very late stage of cancer and um, that you're probably going to die. So um, that in itself was um, very harrowing um, news. And uh, you, you don't, well, at the time, I didn't, I didn't know anyone in the, who got cancer in your early 30s. And, you know, you think that these bad, bad things happen to other people, not you, and certainly not kind of in the prime of your life. Well, what, what I thought was the prime. Um, so we had all of that going on, and um, they basically said to me, if you don't start treatment straight away, you're going to die. Um, So I went straight into a really aggressive um, treatment plan. We did some quick surgeries um, because there were fertility issues with the type of cancer that I had, but I had just had my child, and so they really didn't want me to do any fertility preservation. It wasn't something that was forced on me. It was a choice, but it would have delayed treatment. Um, So um, I did some surgery, and then we went straight to a radiation chemo plan. And, you know, at the time, I, I've, I've always had a really strong mindset. And I think it's because I was very ambitious for myself when I was younger, just in my career. And I had lived in Singapore and London, Hong Kong, got to New York with my company. Um, and it was very competitive. And so I really thought that, OK, I've got cancer. It's harrowing. But, you know, it's going to be another thing I deal with. And I'm going to be one of these people who I'm going to raise some money for charity (laughs) and I'm going to run 10K and I'm going to go to work during my treatment. And I was very optimistic about it. And um, I was actually um, a vegan before I was diagnosed. And so I felt that all of these things um, were an accumulation that I was going to get through the process. And (laughs) it absolutely kicked my ass really, really badly. Um, And um, I had radiation every single day. And then I had chemo on top of the radiation every week. And um, it just just broke me. And, you know, before your eyes, you're you're not eating anymore. You're throwing up. You're very sick. You're kind of all of those things that, um, you know, you imagine kind of cancer and treatment associated to be. And so I wasn't running anything. (laughs) I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't walk. My husband was brushing my teeth. And... um, washing my hair and um, I dropped down eventually to about 100 pounds and I was in a wheelchair or in hospital and um, I had a variety of infections, I had heart issues um, and my heart rate dropped to around 28 quite frequently and would just stay there. So they often had me hooked up to the crash carts um, because they never knew at any kind of given point whether my heart was just going to go out. So, um, so that, that was, that was my life for, for, for many, many months. And my husband was raising my son and I really had nothing to do with my son, not because I didn't want to obviously, but because I was kind of in and out of consciousness and in an incredible amount of pain and on opiates and steroids and chemo and radiation. And it's just like, it's a conveyor belt. So your body doesn't belong to yourself anymore. It belongs to medical science and they just push you and wheel you into rooms and you get on with that. Um, 
so it was a very difficult time for everyone and um when it finished that was kind of when my recovery period began um and um I think having spoken to others about this the thing that I've noticed in terms of the transition out from the critical surgical world into the transition of real life um there's a real lack of support there and it's almost like one day you wake up and they go okay we're done off you go and you're left there standing saying well, what's next like who helps me and your life is shattered and you're not quite sure where to start to pick up these pieces again and you've got to figure that out yourself and um that is originally five years ago um roughly the same time that I got onto Instagram which was this kind of new app that no one was really on and I just felt okay there's got to be some people out there there's got to be someone to connect with because I don't know I don't know anyone I can't talk to anyone no one's got the same problems as me um you know people are wondering what to wear on Friday night and what bar to go to and you know I'm I'm wondering if my life's ever going to be the same again all of these dreams and ambitions I had for myself and my family um they're gone so what now um and so really that was kind of coming out of that and I, I I just didn't find the right support and so I did everything myself in terms of kind of my own education and the whole name that I created my ultimate health project was because I decided that for 12 weeks I was going to try something different every 12 every week for a 12-week period to see I don't know why I picked 12 weeks I mean I feel like it's like a fitness thing (laughs) but that was all I knew so I picked 12 weeks and I trialed something and so one week I trialed gratitude Um, one week it was Thanksgiving in the US and so it was about like giving thanks and appreciation similar to gratitude but like kind of more tied into that theme one week was like fitness um another week was juicing so it was that kind of stuff like I was just really experimenting and trying and writing about my own personal experience and how I was finding these things helped me in my recovery and I did that for 12 weeks um and um you know it was an interesting experience because um I was kind of sharing that and and putting that out there um but once that 12 week period was done and um, I got at that stage the all clear from cancer so that was when they said you know like the, the it's, it's called no evidence of disease and so for everyone else around me everyone was like so happy and it was very anticlimactic for me um, and not because I wasn't grateful but simply because I was still ill and I still didn't know what my future held like maybe the cancer was gone but I didn't know what was left of me. And that's the only way that you can really describe it. And if you were the same or different and how much you changed, right? Yeah. I know I had like similar questions like, who was I now? Yeah. (laughs) Am I the same? Can I fit into the same, like into the same person? I I felt, sorry to interrupt you, that it was like I had loads of pieces of a puzzle and I was trying to put them all back together. And what I found was that none of them fit exactly the same. I was the whole landscape was very different yeah. and accepting that is yeah. <laughs> like another wave of yeah. interest see I wish I'd met you five years ago <laughs> that's exactly the kind of conversation that you need to have like the way I describe it is my life was shattered so it's like your jigsaw puzzle there's these pieces they don't fit back together anymore so I did so I, I, I kind of explained about my son as well but <laughs> I wasn't a good mother because my son didn't know me because I'd been in hospital for so long. So I felt like a failure. So the the basic thing that you're meant to be able to do when you have a child is like be a good mother. <laughs> so I, he didn't want to know me. I felt like a failure as a wife. I felt like I'd let I felt like I'd let people down. And um like that sounds very strange for other people to really truly comprehend, but for me I felt like I've let people down because I got so sick. This body has failed me. And I didn't know that I was good at anything anymore because I wasn't a good wife a good mother a good friend so the only thing that I knew that I was good at was my job so I went back to work and I got myself signed off really early and I went nuts what was your job so I worked in corporate America I worked for uh, the largest um, asset management firm 
um, and I used to run all of their, um, so they're an investment business, and I used to run all of their recruitment for the investments function globally out of New York. So I just had a job where, you know, New York is crazy. It's 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 kind of fun, but it's not. It's crazy. But I also had the opportunity because I had such a big role that really you can expand your role as much as you want and no one's questioning why you're working 16, 18 hours. And so I just never went home and I just worked. And, um, you know, I just, like, did my job and I just blocked everything out. And then in the meantime, I exercised like an absolute maniac because I didn't know any other way. So it was all, like, hit aggressive cardio and honestly I just hated myself and I just like and it's taken me a really really long time to first of all recognize that because I put it out there as very positive so I masked it all by saying this is like a very positive way to live I'm being very strong I have a really strong mindset and I'm not denying that there was an element of that but I think I was really masking just the 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 pain and just how disappointed I was that things had not worked out how they were meant to work out so I really punished myself and I was really quite horrible um and I carried on like that for quite some time and then eventually my body just kind of was going through different things as well and I was diagnosed with um issues around um, radiation damage and chemo damage and so those things are lifelong, so they're never going to go away for me. And since then, my journey's been kind of very up and down, peaks and troughs, being in and out of hospital. Um, last year was a particularly bad year for me. I had several surgeries on my bladder because the organs damaged from the radiation. And then um, I had um, really serious bowel issues, which started last year and then culminated in surgery this year. Um, so... Um, just to go back to my other point um eventually it caught up with me at work and I I eventually had to leave leave my job and that was another really sad day for me because again it's admitting I felt like it was admitting I'm not even good at this anymore I can't even I can't even do my job and I was actually depressed for a little while afterwards so um again I have had a great mindset and I do have it but I just feel like there needs to be more acknowledgement around the fact that we're all human as well and it's the thing that I've learned is it's actually worse to suppress and deny your emotions. There's a difference between being a victim and, you know, being positive and optimistic versus suppressing your emotions because sometimes things are rubbish and it's okay to say they're rubbish. It doesn't mean that you're moaning. It's about if you wallow in that. So if you know that things are a bit rubbish and you wallow and you give yourself five minutes and you move on with it, that's cool. I, I think sometimes it doesn't take five minutes. It's a lot. It's, it's longer than that for sure. But I understand what you mean. Like I get that whole victim thing. I really think um, my sister and Keith's heard me talk about this before, but my sister, when she came to see me after my accident, she was like, you're in the mud. And I was like, yeah, this is the mud. And I was like, I'm just shit right now. Yeah. Everything around me in my eyes is shit. Like we're just going to be here. And my sister was like, all right, we'll be, we'll be in the mud. Like yeah. things are shit. And I think when you get to a process where like, okay, I'm ready to leave the mud. Yes. Then like, then you can leave the mud. But yeah, I think it's it's true. Like you can't suppress that stuff. You got to just be honest. Yeah, and like things are, are bad right now. This is where I'm at. Like I'm going to talk about it or yeah. not. But yeah. yeah, it's an important it's an important process. Just hearing you talk, I just like relate a lot to yeah. certain segments of this journey of yours. Yeah. Well, you know, I like found out about your story. I relate to your story so much because I see so many parallels mm. and similarities, just in terms of kind of your journey as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think potentially a lot of people who go through something like a physical uh, journey that they go through that's very challenging probably go through a lot of the same steps um, where it's like things are really shit, I feel better, and then like feeling very just like, who am I? What am I doing? What is my life about? Like, who is this person? Am I the same? Am I different? Like. 
I was <clears throat> very different. So I can imagine you coming out of that being yeah. like very different, being yeah. in denial too. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like beasting yourself yeah. when actually you should have done the opposite. Like I, be I, nice and kind. I like look back and like I just think if I had seen a friend or a family member do what I did, <laughs> it was in, like my mother was watching from the side because my mother basically raised because my husband ha- was running a business and he had to work a lot because he had put so much on hold he was at the hospital all the time with me like raising my son so he he was kind of doing his thing um so my mother was raising my son and she was she was watching all of this go on and I like talked to her a bit about it now and like for her like it it broke her heart because and you know my son and my mother have the closest relationship now and we always say it was because they were just it was just those two you know And, and my husband and my son are super close but, you know, once I kind of got through this period where, you know, the biggest thing for me was I sat there and I thought, well, you know, what, just because my life hasn't worked out the way that I thought that it was going to work out, what is it that I want from my life? And the, the, the biggest thing was I couldn't continue with my job because it was just, it was just crushing for me. And there was nothing to do with the job at the company. It was just not what I needed. And the biggest thing for me was I did not have a relationship with my son and I refused to look back on my life and feel like it, it, it wasn't for him. He is a, ch- he is a child. It was for me to re- rebuild that relationship. But I was scared and I was terrified because every time I put myself out there, he rejected me. And again, you know, going back to having the right people around you, like I didn't have the right people around me. I didn't have the support of people who'd been through these kind of physical transformations and who were also dealing with these things as parents because I do think that that's a slightly different Mm. um, complexity and um you know I I I just woke up and I was like it doesn't matter if he rejects me till the end of time like I'm the parent I have I have to do it like this is what I want for our lives and it's my responsibility it's not his responsibility and um it was actually one of the reasons um that we moved to Dubai a couple of years ago as well because my husband was kind of looking at me and he was like right enough's enough we need a completely different lifestyle because wherever we had lived before you know we'd always lived in big cities big jobs like everything was crazy and so we essentially moved to Dubai and he has his own business and it's let's take it down a notch so we can kind of focus on you know our family and my husband has his business here and I've really really invested in in me and my son um so can I ask you something? Yeah. What, um, out of that whole experience, what do you feel like was the silver lining? What did you, as a like a human, as a woman, as a mother, what did you learn from that? I think it's probably, I mean, there are lots of things that I've learned, but the thing that I hope that I can teach my son is how to have patience for yourself, how to live with compassion and kindness, not just for yourself, but other people. And really understand where other people are coming from. Because it's really all too easy to not understand a person's reaction. And a lot of the time, sometimes it's nothing about like the issue that you're talking about or what's going on. It's about something else that's greater, that's bigger in their life. Do you feel like people will like that with you? I feel like people... And I I get this quite a, a, a bit. And the biggest... It's not an issue, but it's a challenge that I face in trying to get people to understand my circumstances that, you know, people think, oh, but you don't have cancer. So what's the issue? Or, you know, I've had... You mean now? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's about trying to understand and empathize with people because, yes, I don't have cancer, but I have serious issues relating to the cancer treatment for which I've, you know, I, I lived in hospital for two and a half months earlier this year. I... I stopped eating for three months. I starved myself and then they kept me alive by feeding me intravenously because I couldn't eat anymore. So yes, the cancer's gone, but are you telling me that that's better? And my son was in Dubai and I was in London. So it's not a um, criticism of people, but it's really what I have learned is a greater empathy to what people are going through. And I really hope that my experience is something that I can teach my son in order to be really more understanding and sensitive because I do feel that it's what we need more in the world. (laughs) How would you, um, looking back on it now, how would you have, in this 
particular situation, how would you have wanted people to react to what was going on in your life? How would you have wanted them to treat you so people know? Yeah. I really, the first time from the cancer experience and the recovery, I really hid away. Um, and I don't think I gave people a chance. Um, I... I felt like I wasn't doing it right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I expected of myself, but I felt like I wasn't doing it right. And then this time round, um, I feel that what I've done is, you know, I have a five-year run rate and a five-year lead on surrounding myself with the right people and getting the right support in place. So this surgery has been incredibly hard. This recovery has been incre- incredibly hard. I would. I would say it's just it's been just as hard as as the cancer treatment, um, and I have the right people in place to support me, um, not just from a friendship point of view, but also in terms of you know a physical, mental rehabilitation approach. And I allow those people to help to help me. Whereas before, I would walk around and I'd be like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> I was not fine. Um, so I feel like, you know, I'm not one to, although I'm talking now, but typically I'm not one to overshare unless like, you know, me as a very close friend. Um, and I let those people talk to me more. Um, and I think that that's important. And do you think you were quite withdrawn from people originally because you didn't want to bother them or yeah. you didn't want to look like you weren't able to, to cope with it yeah i'm to be honest being vulnerable here i'm i'm i still feel that way now i f- i feel like a burden i really do but the difference between then and now is i still feel like i'm a burden but i'm able to say that and realize that that is something that i feel it doesn't mean it's real yeah fair and this is a big difference between the two recoveries as well. I'm learning that just because I think something, it doesn't make it real. Yeah. And a lot of the time we forget that our thoughts aren't real. So we become our own limiting factors. Is that going back to the empathy thing? Is Do you think that that's something that's yours or something that's external? Like, do you feel like people reacting unempathetically um, or is that something that you you feel to your current situation of I don't have cancer currently, but I'm still dealing with the repercussions of the treatment? Um, yeah, it's a me thing for sure, for sure. I think you know the the you know, I I don't want to overstate the empathy with other people because I've actually been very lucky in life to you know typically on the whole um, you know have a lot of positivity around me. But like the problem is is when you know, my, my my mindset was all I did from when I was about 15, 16 was like, I want to get to London. I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to work here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this big job. And that's all I did. I just worked and I just achieved. And if I did fitness, it was to do it for a reason. It wasn't like, oh, isn't this lovely? Isn't this kind of like, you know, nourishing my body or my soul? Like everything had a, pr- a practical application, a practical purpose to get yourself there. And not the pleasure and the <laughs> enjoyment of like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a run because it's just nice. Yeah. 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 And I, loved my life though like don't get me wrong like I don't look back and think oh wow I wasn't living you know now I'm living like I loved I loved my life like it was a great life but (laughs) I just think I've learned so much more about adaptation and pivoting and you know the reality that we have plans for ourselves, and you know very rarely it works out and if you can't adapt and change and pivot then you you, you're going to be pretty miserable um so the adapting and the changing and the like coming out of that mindset it's really interesting when you use the word victim before because I felt like there was there's a certain time where those things like it's okay to be in that place and then it's like it's then you have to transition out not for other people but for you yeah because if you stay there then it starts to it starts to be your limiting thing and not other people's thing I totally Um, agree so that that definitely has to be a place where you need to pivot out of that mindset. Okay, yeah. okay, I'm in a new phase of whatever it is that I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's time for change. How do I do that? Yeah. How do I get my mind in that place? I agree. Yeah, yeah. it's it's. 
fucking hard. It's, it's really hard. And you know what's interesting? I had breakfast with a friend a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, he's seen me on three different stages. And um, he does not for one minute think I'm a victim. But he turned around to me and he said to me, who do you think you are? And, uh, you know, we're having this, like, nice, nice breakfast. I mean, wasn't eating much because I can't after the surgery. But we're having this nice breakfast. And, you know, we have these types of conversations. And he was like, well, who do you think you are? Like, who are you? Like, without the cancer, without the chronic illness, without the bowel surgery, without the mindset and the things that you've done the last five years, who are you? And I just thought, wow, like, you know again he doesn't think I'm a victim but you know there comes a point and I think again trying to draw comparison between my first recovery and my second recovery I feel so much better placed to be in a position to be able to feel that I can answer not necessarily to everyone else or even to him it was a rhetorical question but to myself because I feel much calmer and I feel in a you know I feel more worthy if there's such a thing like to you know this time round like the last time round I like I wasn't a victim but I just couldn't make sense of everything I couldn't piece it all together and this time things have been you know re- there were some really dark days I mean to, pr- I, I keep alluding to it but maybe just to kind of say so very specifically I was diagnosed after cancer treatment with radiation damage to my bowels and, and essentially what that meant was that um there is uh, parts of my bowels pretty much all of it which is formed into scar tissue and so that causes issues for several reasons because peristalsis stops happening and then over a period of time obviously um, peristalsis will stop happening but then your bowel just completely closes up Um, and I um, have always kind of had symptoms on and off for the five years and things really really went downhill probably around October 2018 Um, but I have um, food um, sensitivities and so I put it down to thinking that I was eating something and then come November 2018 I was I was I was really ill and I was um, in and out of hospital probably about seven times in five weeks um i flew both in dubai and in the uk and i flew to um, the uk which was meant to be a two-day trip to take my son back for christmas to see pre-christmas to see some family and um, ended up calling 999 at my mother-in-law's house and i stopped breathing and was admitted to hospital and so we spent the majority of december and Christmas um, in London and, and hospital. And by this point, I had actively started starving myself um, because I could no longer eat and I couldn't drink water either. So I, it was it was a real... What would happen if you did eat? I ended up in hospital. So I was in a cycle. So it, it, it worked out for about every three to six to seven days, I was in a cycle. So day, day one, I would go into hospital probably around like three days it would clear because I'd be nil by mouth I'd be pretty starving by this point um or dehydrated I'd eat something I'd maybe get another three days and I'd be back in hospital um and I was desperately trying to get back in to see um some cancer specialists so my my care is all at the Royal Marsden in London um but you know it's it's also difficult in the medical world because technically I don't have cancer anymore these are things as a result of cancer so in terms of where you are on the priority list you're obviously at a point where you are going to die from this issue but you don't have cancer so um, I was trying to get to this specialist and um, eventually I saw him and was admitted into hospital in January and I was in a really bad way by this point and um, they put a pick line into me um, and essentially said that I was not physically in a position to be able to survive the surgery so they weren't going to be able to do the surgery on me and they fed me intravenously for over six weeks and the day they put in the pick line um, which is a line where you you usually have it for chemo but they fed me intravenously through it so threaded through my arm and into my heart and I cried because I was so relieved to no longer have to worry about food and eating and drinking it was this weight had been lifted off my shoulders and I was having terrible cravings and you know my brain was doing some really odd things because essentially I was starving myself Um, and so I learned a lot around just really the place that your brain will go to to try and just get you to eat something 
Um, and eventually all of that stabilized um, and I was separated from my son and my husband. They were in Dubai. I was in London and there were some really dark days for me. And I truly believe that my mindset got me through that. I, I, without a doubt, I mean, I had great support. The surgeon was amazing. The nurses were absolutely phenomenal, like unsung heroes. But, you know, every day it was me. And I was very, I was very lonely. I had my friends, I, you know, and people would come to see me. I didn't let everyone come and see me because it feels kind of weird because you're really gravely ill and it's not like a, like, you feel like you should be social and entertain people, but it's not like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's lonely and it's hard because you don't have your family with you. And they refused to tell me when they would do the surgery because they didn't know that I was going to be strong enough for it and they didn't know that I was going to be a candidate for it. And so a lot of the time I lived in hospital and I had to get my head around that um, I might have a pick line for the rest of my life, which basically meant that for 16 to 20 hours a day, you are hooked up to a machine and you cannot, you, you could not leave. So my son would be 15, 20, 25, 30, off to get married, and I would be on a pick line. Like I wouldn't be able to ever go and pick him up, drop him off, do anything, go to a concert without the pick line. Like, wh- like what kind of life is that? Um, and I, you know, did a lot of th- I did a lot of thinking, obviously, um, and amongst kind of the pain and the meds, and um, I really really just thought about the difference between what I now feel is the difference between hope and I don't feel that I'm a hopeful person and the way in which I describe that is because I realize that if you hope for things it sets your mind to thinking that there are things that are outside of your control and I do think that there are some things that will just happen to you but when it comes to hoping for better days I just I just don't think that you can hope for them. I just don't think it's enough. I don't think that you'll get through because you'll just end up feeling so powerless. And I really needed to regain some kind of power in a very strange way in my hospital bed. Um, And so for me, it was really just around setting my mindset in terms of what makes me happy, what brings me joy, what do I have in my life, what am I grateful for, how am I blessed? And this was all the things I would think about all the time and I just found like whatever I put out there I I got back tenfold from other people as well and you know it opened a lot of people's eyes as well I think because you know to see someone that they love go through something and you know to really have such a strong compelling message just in terms of you know, like, things don't look great for me. Like, you're feeling sorry for me, but, like, look at me. I'm in a world-class hospital that people don't have access to. I have people looking after me. Like, I don't know what the future holds, but I have a husband. I have a son. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. It's the way that you have to look at things. And if something happens, we'll deal with it. So, you know, there were dark days, and there were some days where I would sit there and I would think, I, I, I didn't understand why I survived cancer. Like, I didn't understand because it was still going on. And then, you know, really, I think it's just, again, coming back to the faith that you cultivate in yourself, the blessings that you have in your life, and just, you know, understanding that you're not limited by these things, that life is still out there and it's still open to you. And there's so much to be grateful for. And then I had the surgery on the first of March, and it was very, it's very hard recovery. And I'm, I'm, I'm only ten weeks post-op now, and it's been a lot harder than I thought that it would be. Um, but it's the second shot, third, fourth, fifth for me. I don't know. I kind of lost, lost count. But it's a gift. You're a cat with nine lives. I know. I feel, I've, I've like said that recently. <laughs> I am, but I don't know why this, this, this time feels very different. Like before, I've had a lot of surgery. And it's always to just try and maintain the balance. This one, you know, there was a lot of complexity around food, particularly in this one for me. And I I actually refused to start eating again in the hospital once they took me off the pick line because I hadn't eaten in four months. And I was scared. I was very scared. What were you Um, scared of? The biggest thing was I was scared that if I ate and the same thing happened, it hadn't worked. Right, I see. And that that was it for me. That was my shot. 
So if it hadn't worked, what then? So I was yeah. terrified. So I didn't want to prove it right or wrong. True. I just wanted to, you know. And then the second thing was, like, once you've kind of gone through, like, a four-month period of not eating, drinking, like, you're not bothered about food anymore. Like, food is the enemy. Right. It's like, f- and, and still now, it's different. It, it doesn't cause the same kind of pain. It's not life-threatening. But, like, I'm flying back to the UK next week. I've got, like, other things going on. Like, I've been very ill. Like, food is still something where it's, like, I'm trying to get my head around it because my body is not agreeing with it. Um, and, and you know, how you feel on the inside when you recover, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, how you feel about yourself on the inside really overspills into how you perceive yourself as well. And all sorts of things around, like, body image, how you relate to the world, like, just how you feel <laughs> mentally. Because um, if you're in pain every day, it's like, you know, it's conscious decisions that you're trying to overcome these things. Um but that's why this time around, like the first time denial, horrible to myself. This time around, I have a rehab program. I have the right people in place. I'm not trying to push things. I'm not in a rush. I'm just trying to be be good to myself. Yeah. I'm playing the long long game. Who are the people that you have around you now? Like, without specifically, like, yeah. you, have a, you have a good doctor. You have a few yeah. people you speak to with a similar experience. Yeah. You have what is it you've got around you now that you didn't have back then? Yeah. So, um, I so I think the, the the biggest thing is that actually my my surgical team are much better than previously. Um, that my surgical team in New York were great, but like this surgical team is another level, and there's an infrastructure there where they've put a team around, um, which includes a dietitian um, and also a physio. And essentially, what they did was um, work with. Um, I have a PT here who um, is doing my uh, physio rehab program. And essentially, that whole kind of network has linked up together. So the information which they need to gather on me, which is very specific to me and and bowel surgery around kind of weight, what I'm eating, how I'm eating, timings. And then he's kind of overseeing and looking at mobility. You know, I'm doing a lot more Pilates, like rehab, like before I was doing, you know, very intensive cardio and it's really just kind of going back to basics and, and building the building mm-hmm. blocks. But I have, it, it, the, the biggest thing for me, I would say, is kind of, I'm just going to kind of come loop back onto the fitness world rather than the medical piece. But the thing that I had really learned was, it, you know, you really, you really have to find and seek out the best people in the industry, whether that's for rehab, fitness, what you want to achieve, because there's a huge differentiation of quality of individuals in the market and the biggest priority not just for me for anyone i i think i mean disagree with me if you will but i think people lose the focus of let's be safe like all of this stuff is like great but if you're not safe if you're not doing something properly if you don't have it with correct form like you're never going to get to where you want to be anyway and then worse than that you could do yourself some serious harm which is going to impact and limit the other things that you're doing in your life. And so I've, I, I, as I said, I, I work with someone who's, he's been my PT now for about 18 months and he's taken me through a lot. So he's taken me through <laughs> maybe like two, three surgeries, blood transfusions, iron transfusions, all my bowel issues, bowel surgery. Like he is super knowledgeable who and is it give, me, it. give me a little shout out uh, his name's Chris Beavers cool yeah yeah. he's um, I, I and you know I, I, I obviously I'm biased but I don't think that anyone apart from my surgical team and my family care more about my health than he does and that is what people need to get when someone cares <laughs> more about you than they do themselves it's not about their ego it's about you That that's what you need and do you find that did you so this training mm. 18 months compared to the original circuit yeah. classes and stuff you're doing yeah do you find you're, you're more like optimistic and you enjoy it more yeah and you're sticking to it more like do you find there's actually like a yeah a, a physical difference in you being there and like how totally. you overview exercise yeah but you know chris has really helped me in this though so when i first met chris i was like okay so let's do strength training and then here are all the other things that i do and i'm just going to beast myself outside of the gym 
and you know he probably knows me better than I know myself and like it's been a long process because if you had ever turned around to me at the time like he understood like for me I was like look I've been through a lot I'm so grateful to be alive you have no comprehension what that's like because I get to go running I get to go spinning I get to do this and that's it was coming from a positive place it just had negative associations around it because it was very tired and worn out and so instead of being like no don't do this it was really a journey that we both went through together in terms of okay well how are you feeling like what's going on with you like how do you think that this is affecting this what are you enjoying more are you enjoying this more like how you know and actually getting he got me to see and understand that really like it it wasn't kind of working for me like what I wanted to do um and my priorities weren't matching up because he said to me when we first met he's like what's your goal I was like to stay out of hospital like that and that, that's 18 months ago ago to now like that's my personal goal like if I can do other little things in between I'd love it <laughs> but you know my ultimate goal is I want to stay out of hospital and so what that means is about protecting my overall health and so every time like we've done things or we've kind of gone off off track he's like okay well how do you think it's fitting in mm-hmm. so it's and, and you know because this is this is what you do right but it's it's a journey it's a journey with the client and he's gotten me to a point now where as I said I feel like I've come back and I've come back and I've been doing my rehab with him and you know before I would have been this crazy person that I would have been like okay so now we're on week 10 like okay let's go week 11 what are we doing what can I do now you can sign me off you can get me to do this and he like I'm allowed to do say more running than I'm actually doing at the moment because some days I wake up and I'm like nah, nah I'm not feeling it and as I said, it's the long it's the long game now, mm-hmm. and that's been a huge, huge difference for me. Huge difference. And did you actively seek these people to keep them around you, or did you just is there something that just fell into place when you left New York and you moved to Dubai? I I, ha- I had to find these people. Yeah. And it was, you know, when I say I probably have got the best people around me in the last eighteen months, and this whole thing's been going on for five years. Um, I don't know how how you feel, but just like maybe it's like relationships. You've got to kiss a lot of frogs until you get to the to the right people. And you know, sometimes like people say things to you, and you're like, "Oh, that makes sense," but like you know, <laughs> a- a- education is is lacking. And I'm sure I get probably shouted at, but you know, a lot of the time, sometimes people have one experience about themselves, whether it's health recovery, fitness recovery, whatever it may be, and they feel that that is applicable mm. to kind of everyone else. And I think that the really talented people in the industry are open, naturally curious, don't necessarily think that their method is the only method, that there's a combination of methods, and that every person is unique. Yeah. And every situation is unique. Yeah, they're really, really valid points. Really valid points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, for this, we, I deal with people who are injuries and all sorts of stuff. And I've never, I never even had a surgery myself, so I can't yeah. say, hey, this is what happened with me. So I, from my position, my default position is right. I don't know what it's like, so you're going to have to tell me. Yeah. I'm going to have to learn as much as I can from you or from you as to yeah. what's going on here. Um. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange thing. I mean, it's something that a lot of PTs can't relate to. Is when you get to these complex levels of yeah of problems and challenges that a lot of lots of people maybe shy away from them. And it's all about working with the client. Yeah, yeah especially understanding that when you talk about you beasting yourself, like <laughs> I can relate to that so much. Because did I you do that? Out yeah, of, of course I did, did that. Yeah, because you know. you're into you went through the whole Pilates. Um, yeah, but like piece, I but beasted that. myself okay. entirely, <laughs> and I think it it's hard to do that when you can't walk. But I would definitely, like, I would challenge myself a lot. Like, I couldn't walk properly for a really long time, and I would do it anyway to the point where I'd go home and I was crying because my feet were so sore. And yeah, it's it's mental. Yeah. But I think for me, it was it was coming from this this place of like I need to prove to myself that I can do this because I need to be normal. Like yeah. it's a part of the old identity that I had. It was like the old version of me was this, yeah. and I have to go. I have to find a way to that person. Yeah. And the only way that I could do that was like just destroying myself yeah. to get to that place. Proof. I didn't realize it 
that there was another path. Yeah. But the path that I only knew was like, if I destroy myself this way, eventually I'm going to be able to walk and eventually I'm going to find my old self back. Yeah. I never found her because she was yeah. so different. Yeah. It was like a totally new person. Yeah. But that process of like, when you're sitting there telling me about beasting yourself, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, do, I still do that. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. I still do that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's definitely the... I need to find who I was. Yeah. yeah. Um, And that's like whatever it is that you did before, that's how you find that person. Can I ask you just as a woman, how did you feel that you related to your body image? Like at the time when Mm. you're going through all of this and you're beasting yourself, like what did you think about yourself? (laughs) Mine was really different because I had this thing was I was disabled and, uh, and then I was like scarred to shit. And at first I was, very because I did the same thing I couldn't eat so I lost a lot of weight and I was very very scarred like I had scars everywhere my body was misshapen so I was like I'm like that in my mind the hunchback of Notre Dame like I had this misshapen pelvis and everything looked so weird and like my I was so little and my legs were tiny but then I had like weird bone structures that were everywhere that never used to be that way so in my mind I was like I'm the hunchback of Notre Dame (laughs) and I'm disabled disfigured like I really felt that um and yeah that's that's kind of the thing that I had and I had to like dissolve that over time yeah but it was like it's it's a really challenging process it's not easy and it's not easy to like now like show your body and like like yeah yeah, this this is it like I still hide my feet sometimes like sometimes when we do these podcasts at the very beginning I was like make sure my feet are not in this really (laughs) yeah I wouldn't let any I know now they're there but like I wouldn't let anyone look at my feet I wouldn't let anybody touch them I would hide them in socks all the time yeah this goes back to what you said I think it's such an amazing point (laughs) what you think isn't necessarily what's real. So it, it's so yeah. true. For for all of us, though, you don't yeah. have had to have had an accident. Just because you think something, it doesn't mean it's real. Oh, well, like in my case, I knew it was real. Like I was disfigured and I knew yeah. it. I could see my feet and I knew but they the didn't look like feet. The, but the extent of how much hunchback in Notre Dame and how ugly your feet were and the size of your scars, like... That's not real. You yeah, no, no, no. This because it doesn't matter to other people. Like when you say, look at my scars, it doesn't matter to you. So they, they just, like, it's like a scar. But to me, it's like, this is, this is my whole fucking pelvis. Yeah. Like this is the whole side of my leg. Yeah. So it's, it's a very, it's a very different thing. It doesn't matter to other people because, yeah. because it doesn't matter to them. So yeah. it's, it's different. They see it differently. But yeah, that was, that was hard to get through. I think, I think the way that I came out of that, yeah. and then maybe I can ask you the same question, yeah. is um, coming alive again, yeah. finding yeah. a way to come alive. Yeah. And yeah. I know that you were talking about doing that with your son, like reconnecting yeah. with him. Yeah. For me, it was like, I need to find a way to come alive in my heart and soul. Yeah. And if I can do that... I had no idea how to do that. But if I can do that, then I can bring everything else to life. Yeah. And it's a process. I'm trying to get there slowly and slowly, yeah. like bringing myself to life, being authentic, yeah. um, doing what I what it is that I want to do and not doing the things that are no longer me yeah. and being okay with that. Like mm-hmm. before that, I was teaching a lot of yoga and, and after that, I didn't want to teach anyone yoga I was like I don't want to give you my energy because I don't sorry to be so rude but I didn't have any energy to give anybody yeah and then when I went back to it it's not something that served me anymore I didn't I didn't feel like it was me anymore I didn't have that like this isn't me I can't be inauthentic so I don't know how other people do it who come who get to that place where they're recovering. But I know like I had to come alive and I did that in very selfish ways. Like I was the most selfish person imaginable. Um, I think that's great though. How, how was it for you? Well, I think I probably already had the alive epiphany because of the cancer experience. So (laughs) that's why this recovery has been different. And the thing that I've learned is, so I was telling you this weekend, so I just went away on a staycation um, in Dubai and um, we're at this hotel and um, I realized that I have this choice. So the reality is I have a scar 
um and um it's pretty huge and big at the moment and um that's my reality but the perception of how i think about myself and relate about my body that's not necessarily real because you know it doesn't look like how i would optimally like it to look like but you know the the choice is the fe- the feeling of being alive was i was sat in that hospital bed potential like i ne- i you, you know potentially not having the surgery and I'm sat there and I'm worried about a bikini and a scar and my son is there going absolutely nuts because he's going to go to Wild Waddy and he's five years old. And I'm like, let's do it. Like, this is amazing. It's like such a gift, like, to be here with my family. And I think it was really it was really good for me because I don't want to sit here and say, like, I, I'm not at a stage where I can tell you that, like, my scar is a a a battle that like I've lived through or shows like and I I, I'm not like I have I have nothing against scars but like this isn't about anyone else and I think this is the point that you go back to about being selfish because I think that that is so important because you know well-intentioned and well-meaning people are always kind of telling me things about like how they relate to themselves and feel about themselves which is great and I applaud it because we should all try and get to that place where we feel alive but you've got to do it for you and you've got to get there yourself so what I'm saying is like I'm not really at that place where I feel truly comfortable but I went and did it and I think it was good for me because there was a there were you know like I'm not going to lie there was a lot of staring and it wasn't me being paranoid like there's a lot of staring. I know it's horrible, especially here. It's like yeah. it's like I can see that you're looking at yeah. me. Stop looking at me. Yeah, yeah. Someone tried to take a photo of me as well by the pool today. It was re- it was it was crazy because he saw me walk past. And then he, like, he just could not stop staring. And then I was walking past again with my son. And luckily I had, like, my son's hat. And it wasn't because, like, I was covering up. But, like, I could see what he's doing with his phone. And we all live with Instagram. So, like, I know when I take pictures, like, not of other people. But, like, you take pictures, you can see when people are angling. And I was like, that guy's taking a picture of me. And um, so I had my son's hat and I had it in front of me. But, like, you know, it's just, like, you've you've got to accept it. Like, I and, and not for anyone else. So I could, like, you know spend 12 weeks like several months working with Chris my PT and like pop back up on Instagram and tell you that like now I love myself and I'm so worthy because I look a certain way but it's just inauthentic and it's not me and it's like if you don't love your life now here and now and you don't find things that give you joy and purpose like what's the point Mm. so yeah I mean I can't I, I know what you're saying, but it's a, it's a very different level. Yeah. Well, I've experienced compared to what you and both of you have experienced. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, but, but it's quite funny because, you know, actually out of everyone, my son is the most open-minded about it all the time because he sees my scar and he's like, is that why they cut the bad bits out of you? And I was like, yeah, that's right. And he's like, well, oh, they did a good job. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's, and that's how he sees it. It's funny. And like children are so talking about authenticity like children will like say anything to you you know they think like you're ugly they'll like tell you you're ugly <laughs> like and he's like oh they did a good job That's yeah. Good. yeah 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 and like again I think you know it was it was good for me I'm not gonna say it was easy or that I am like super excited about getting back in back into a bikini again but we live in Dubai and you know you just sometimes have to put yourself out there and I've learned this as well like you just like you can't hide away from your life and like you've got to be a bit scared and you've got to be a bit vulnerable sometimes to actually fail again and I I don't know if you felt like this but after cancer maybe that's why I repressed everything and I was in denial because I was so scared of failing again and I just couldn't and then I was sick all the time sick all the time and you know going back to being a burden always feeling like a burden and like you just at some point have just got to let it go and just you know you just really got to let it go yeah you do that's the hardest part though because sometimes it's you define yourself on that yeah like it becomes a definition like i'm a cancer survivor i'm like disabled or like i don't know what you are keith but you know what i mean like we have these labels that we define ourselves by and it's like okay i need to I need to, this is a new person that's coming forth. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you guys a totally separate story, but I've been a vegetarian for 23 years. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, recently I had all of these scans and then I came to this conclusion where actually, like, 
um, my body wasn't building enough bones. So I'm like now transitioning into being a meat eater, 23 years, being vegetarian, being a vegan half the time. Like, so I was a vegan for four years. I was a raw vegan. Um, it's a really, really, really like interesting. And then I've had this label on myself. Like I am a vegetarian. That's who I am. That's a part of my identity. And then transitioning out of that to, to being something like, oh, well, how do I, how do I move into, into a different space that's a new, like, version of me and a new identity and trying to dissolve yourself of, okay, well, I'm not just this label, I'm not this victim, I'm not disabled, I'm not a vegetarian, I'm, I can be whatever it is that I want to be moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah interesting yeah yeah i'm going so through exactly the same thing it's the shift oh high five, yeah. high five. <laughs> you're back to eating meat as well so i've done uh, you know so i've been a vegan twice in my life the first time was before i was diagnosed with cancer and if you read anything about cancer then they tell you if you're a vegan you're never going to get cancer but i got cancer um and then the second time was just before all of my bowel issues really kicked off because actually um a lot of um protein like vegan sources of protein are, are much harder to digest mm-hmm. yeah and inflammatory yeah yeah um and and then i've gone through a process of cutting out gluten egg and dairy and that is something that i will Ooh, continue high five, me too. Oh, That's yeah. Right. yeah i'm doing that and including like bone brothers and oh, stuff I, like yeah that. actually yeah. you know happy in dubai do the yeah. best bone broth I know. yeah i can't do red meat yet i'm not there try their mushroom like, i've been doing the the chicken i've been doing i can i can handle like chicken bone yeah. broth and i ate chicken for the first time in 23 that years been, that must have been crazy yeah it's mental like my yeah. stomach was like <laughs> like having yeah. like a yeah. convulsion but yeah. yeah it's interesting so yeah. the yeah. mushroom one is good though because i as i said i was vegan again last year and so coming back on to so i find meat i find fit, uh, food's really problematic for me at the moment and i mean kind of a bit like you were saying you know it's also very it's it's very interesting like when you drop weight for medical reasons and then you realize you have to put weight back on and then you're scared of food like all of this stuff starts happening in your brain where it's not normal to be the weight that you are but then you're like well I've got to start eating I don't know what to eat what's going to not cause me pain like and I like yeah it's it's like it's very it's very hard shifting from what is familiar to the unknown mm-hmm. yeah definitely especially yeah. when it comes to food because it's such a such a personal thing yeah. but yeah and so for me I'm going on like this t- I've never I've eaten carbs my whole like I'm I'm basically yeah. a carb I'm basically yeah. a potato That's like a, a vegan giant diet. potato yeah. Yeah. yeah like eating loads of like like veggie veggies yeah. but I'm a big giant potato and yeah. going from that to doing like the total opposite it's crazy how do you feel because so the 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 biggest thing that I have found very sad in the last three weeks so we were meant to do this podcast before and then I I, I had to rearrange but I've taken out all vegetables and all fruits of my diet and can you imagine it was the saddest day of my life because my life is built around vegetables nutrition fruit health and it's just so sad, like, accepting that your body, like, can and, like, you know, maybe it will be a phase, maybe it won't be, but, like, I, I just cannot do this to myself. And I was fighting it, and I was getting sick, I was ill, I'd have a bit of vegetables here and there, and just this mental blockage that you have, like, to really transition off, because you're like, no, that's healthy, that's how I eat, I don't want to leave the vegetables. Yeah, I think, look, from what I kind of experience and I think I don't know if this is accurate or not I think that there is so many different ways that like humans are omnivores at the end of the day and there's so many different ways in that we can eat yeah and we can eat as like Inuits completely meat diets we can live as vegans we can live as raw vegans like mm. there's there's a multitude of ways that human beings can live because we're very adaptable yeah. and I think at the end of the day it's just finding what's right for you and what works for you as an individual yeah. like if vegetables are not working for you then yeah. being okay with that yeah. and yeah. yeah how do you eat Anyway. Everything. <laughs> everything? I'm fortunate. Like, re- like, really, like really everything? At the moment, I'm fortunate enough. I don't eat pastries and cakes and, s- okay. and stuff like that. Like okay. I, don't go, I'm not, I don't have a sweet tooth when it comes to like desserts and yeah. s- 
the beige kind of food, confectionery okay, yeah. stuff. Yeah. But any sort of meat, fish, veg, yeah. all that, yeah. I, I tend to get away with. You like gluten, dairy, egg. I stay off gluten just because oh, I've read do? a ton on it. Like, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a cheeky this. wrap every now mm. and again. I'm not completely like, oh, damn it, I can only go for that one gluten-free option yeah. on the menu. Yeah. But I don't eat pastas. I don't eat sandwiches. I don't eat baguettes. Okay. I don't yeah. eat, just because of gluten and different books I've read, um outlining the the, 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 the yeah. possible future problems that gluten can cause i can just do it out them yeah yeah anyway i think that's a whole other topic <laughs> yeah, we for could do a whole other discussion yeah, so let's let, let me just finish <coughs> with asking you if you had to so we've already spoken where it is a process you have to learn from your, mm. your past and you have to build on the experience that you've had how what would you advise someone to shorten that as much as possible they obviously have to go through their own journey and yeah. everyone's journey is different but like yeah how would you make it as short and helpful for people in short your situation? Circuit. Short circuit. First of all, surround yourself with the right people. So don't waste time w- hanging around t- getting people to tell you, medical people or anyone else to tell you what to do. You find the answers for yourself. You're responsible for yourself. You're accountable for yourself. People will That's help you. such good advice. Yeah, people will help mm. you and support you, but you have to be your advocate. No one else is going to care about you like you will. So seek it out. Get rid of toxic people. That includes friends where you talk about yoga. Like I haven't had that experience of teaching, but there is just energy that I can no longer give you. And it's sad, but again, it's like letting go of vegetables. (laughs) Like that doesn't serve anyone. And so it's really around education, support, toxicity, and just being selfish and kinder with yourself. Like I I feel like when I'm around people who have the similar mindset to me it it makes me want to be better so yes I have this mindset but in the same way that hopefully I can get you to feel that that's contagious and I can give you some of my energy I can get some energy off you and I can get some education off you and you teach me things like it's not just a one-way relationship and so that's why like I feel like it's the support and you know having a friend who will turn around to you at breakfast and say who are you yeah at least it makes you question like oh actually who am i anyway thank you so much it's been so inspiring to listen to you talk and talk about all of that thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story (laughs) where can people follow your story are you active anywhere yes so i'm on instagram um at my ultimate health project cool amazing i wish you the very best of luck with the rest of your career we'll be back on soon with more success thank you so much guys thank you thank you guys